Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Hey everybody, Brian Davis here, super excited to be with you. I am joined today by MC Lauscher. MC is a veteran real estate investor. He's the creator and host of the top-rated business and investing podcasts, Cashflow Ninja and Cashflow Investing Secrets. He's also a husband, a dad, author, cashflow expert. So MC, welcome to the show. Great, great to be here. Been looking forward to our conversation. Well, me too. And you know, I always love bringing someone on the show who has been investing for several decades in real estate, who's been through a lot of different market cycles, because they always have such a better perspective on wherever we are in that moment of the of the housing cycle, of the real estate cycle. So uh, let's rewind the clock to the, the very beginning. Uh, I think you said you started in 2001. Is that right? That's correct. So I'm, ori I'm originally from South Africa. I grew up in a very interesting time in South Africa's history which, I mean, that contrib contributed to who I am today, uh, living in times that are uncertain, a lot of unknowns, volatility, chaotic environment, a lot of disruption. I mean, the complete change of the guard, right? Uh, which is, which is uh, later in life, you find out that's actually a great experience that can contribute to you being a, an investor. Uh, I, you know, when I wrapped up university, I ended up in the United States in 2001. Um, I was playing in a sports league. I and I was reading and studying. I was that guy on the team bus and team plane. Um, Love it. And I always enjoyed history, economics, uh, reading a little bit why, a lot of biographies, uh, trying to connect a lot of dots, reading why with and about different opinions. Right. Um, I picked up um, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki. Ah, the little purple book. Yeah, my I had my purple book moment, and six months later, I bought, bought my first property. It was actually a property oh, in South Africa at the time in 2001. It was in a suburb pretty close to Cape Town, which is great for commuting, up and coming. I saw the potential, um, and I, you know, I, I bought the place. I got some people in there. Um, I collected the rent, paid all of the costs and fees and, and expenses associated with the property, and at the end of the month, there was cash flow left. And the question of that at that stage was how many times can I do this? How many times can I do this over? How many doors can I get light bulb moment? Light bulb moment. Number two was, you know, as far as cash flow efficiency. And obviously when you have that first hit as an investor, now it's school starts, people don't pay rent. People pay them late. If they do pay them, people break your stuff in your property. I mean, I can oh, write yeah. a book about that. I've had, I've had somebody break a porcelain toilet. I don't know how, but they did. I had to replace <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, so the school started and I actually learned the, the, the importance of cash flow efficiency, which then again, I read Robert Kiyosaki's book, that purple book every year, rich dad, poor dad. And, you know, every year I get a new lesson out of it when the, when the students ready, the teacher appears. And, and what happened was the one year I read it, I said, what are all these liabilities in this book? It's gotta be someone's assets. Who, whose assets are they? It's the bank's. 
and I studied right. banks, the banking system, the monetary history, the monetary system, the, you know, studied the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, and understood how to be as efficient as possible and become my own bank. And then I discovered Nelson Nash, becoming your banker, infinite banking. And then I would say like the third kind of like light bulb moment, which really elevated and contributed my invest investing and took it to the next level was I started to realize that I was, you know, I went it alone <laughs> and I was always trying to figure out how to do things, which is at that point, especially when you're competing against really, really good players, and I call them cash flow ninjas, it's almost you can't compete with them, right? Every market's got this big white whale, you know, and you can't compete with them. So the question becomes, how do you partner with them? You know, and Dan Sullivan wrote a book recently, um, uh, Who Not How. And it was so, I mean, he said he's, he's, a, he's the ability to, to, to put things in, in, in perspective. So instead of asking myself the question, how can I do this? How can I figure this out? How can I buy, you know, 100 units or 1,000 units in multifamily if, I just, if I'm just in, in, in single family? That's the wrong question. Who can I partner with? And bring my skill set capabilities, my knowledge, my capital, and my network's capital to the table. And who can I partner with to then go and buy that 500 to 1,000 units of, of multifamily real estate and resorts and, and so forth? That was a huge light bulb moment. And what that actually did, taking me into my investing today, is I could diversify. I could partner with the best people in their space, whether it's single family, whether it's resorts, whether it's multifamily, whether it's oil and gas, life settlements. I mean, we could go on and on. You can partner with people and you don't have to be active in that deal consistently. You could be a GP in some deal, but you can be an LP. And that way you can build out a diversified portfolio of cash flow investments that produces income, gets you out of the rat race and the matrix, gets you financially free reduces your taxes legally, um, gives you your portfolio a great opportunity to appreciate. And then, of course, you have to have a lot of fun because you get to partner with people and leverage their skill sets, their capabilities, their unique abilities, their network, and their network's capital. So that's kind Absolutely. of what I'm up to. It's evolved quite a bit, and I kind of like condensed it. It's two decades. <laughs> so it's, you're not going to get there right away, but those are those are some of the, I would say, like the key points if I had to pass down, you know, from what I've learned, you know, in, in the School of Hard Knocks. Well, you're speaking my language there with that third point that you made about you don't have to go out there and buy up these 200 unit, 500 unit uh, apartment complexes yourself. You just partner with people to do it. That is exactly what we do in our co-investing club. We just invest every month as a club in different syndication projects, You know, yep. whether it's multifamily, whether it's outdoor recreation, whether it's self-storage, mobile home parks, retail, industrial, you know, whatever. So we can each spread small amounts of money far and wide uh, by pooling our money together as a club and writing one check to invest in these big projects. Uh, and actually, it's super exciting because we are just now, this, this deal that we're in the middle of doing right now, we are just now big enough to start getting those, those higher returns that you get if you're investing a large sum, those yep. preferential kinds of returns. Uh, so it's, a, it's an exciting moment for us. But you are definitely speaking my language there about investing passively, partnering with people who already have all of that expertise. And they can go out and do all the work <laughs> and all you have to do is write the check. So Right. Right. I and love the that. thing is the beauty about it is 
you know, you could bring a lot of things to the table. Some people, if it's capital, you're bringing something to the table. And then other folks, they bring their skill sets, capabilities, know-how, teams, networks, uh, economies of scale. So everybody brings something to the table. And I've, I've loved doing it that way. I love that aspect of investing and business. It makes it fun. You know, it makes it a lot of fun. I've met incredible people through it too and lifelong friends. It is absolutely fun. And, it, you know, it's something that uh, Denny, my, my partner and I, who I often co-host this podcast with, you know, we talk about it all the time, how real estate investing is absolutely a team sport. And if, if you're a, a solo player and you don't want to work with other people, you're in the wrong space. <laughs> like, I mean, this is very much a team sport. You, it's all about networking and partnering with other people. Um, you know, even if you're going out and just buying single family homes, you need contractors and property managers and realtors. And, uh, you know, you have to establish relationships with the local city inspectors. I mean, it, the, the list is just endless for the people that you need to end up knowing. So yep. anyway, a little tangent there. <laughs> so MC, you you are not a sponsor yourself these days, or are you still sponsoring um, real estate syndication deals? I'm not currently sponsoring. So it's just because of where we are in the market cycle. So I kind of like look at um, what's going on and then I adjust my my strategy. That's the one nice thing about being an alternative asset investor is you can use maps, wealth maps, as I call them, um, and you can kind of like see what's going on in the environment where you are at in the cycle and then you can make adjustments. So not currently. And, and just on that cycle kind of like theory, here's what I would share with folks, too. It's funny how you get different responses, but I just equated to, you know, a cycle is like seasonality. You've got four seasons uh, when you are in your bathing suit on the beach in Florida in the summer, ready to dive into the beautiful water. Uh, where you could see your toes, and especially on the West Coast, um, huh. you're not overly optimistic. It's just summer. <laughs> when you are in Colorado in snow boots and you're bundled up and you've got almost a balaclava on just to keep yourself warm in the middle of winter, you're not negative. You're just dressing for the weather. It's just that time of the year. It's snow boot time and it's bundle up and keep keep nice and warm. So with investing, I look at it the same way. There's different things that you do through a market cycle. There's times to be extremely aggressive. Uh, you can over leverage. You can de deploy and partner and do as much as you can. And then as the cycle progresses, then you start to play a little bit more defense. And at, as the, you get to run about the top of the cycle, you're playing more defense than offense. Um, and then, of course, there's a down cycle again, and then the the trend reverses. You're playing more offense than you play defense, uh, just because that's where you where at where you're at in the cycle. So that's kind of how I look at it. Um, you know, it's advice to that I've learned the hard way. This did not come easy. I wish that uh, I had mentors and people uh, around me to tell me this in 2008 and 2009. Oh, yeah, um, me too. <laughs> not, yeah, not because, you know, I always said it would have been a much better story if I told people I lost everything and I built it all back up. It would have been a much better story. I got um, through it pretty unscathed, but the lesson that I learned was tactically – um, I got in at like the end of 2009, beginning of 2010, but I know what I know now and I understand these cycles and I understand the seasonality of capital flows and what you do during different stages. 
uh, could have probably bought five times the amount of real estate that I was able to buy in the end because I got into quickly. You know, as people would say, it's like catching a falling knife, right? So <laughs> you learn it's painful, but you know, you're a little bit older and wiser for the next the next go around. <laughs> well, so I, I love that perspective about just the circularity of, of market cycles, right? Uh, yep. So I want to hear your thoughts on where we are right now in the the real estate market cycle, because you know I, I hear a lot of uncertainty among investors um, and among analysts and, and journalists, and you know there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. So, what are your thoughts on on where we are right now in the real estate cycle, and how investors should be looking at this moment? Yeah, so uh, there's a great tool that I would suggest that investors look up. You, if you go to your uh, for, uh, favorite search engine, type in the psychology of a market cycle, a Wall Street, or Wall Street psychology of a market cycle. And people would say, but why would you say Wall Street? Isn't it you, you're an, an alternative asset investor? It's psychology. You're dealing with humans. Humans and their psychology drives the behaviors in markets and drive cycles. So yes, you get obviously um, there's a, the massive impact of the economic cycle because of the liquidity that is released into the economic environment. But psychology really drives it, right? Capital just moves from one hand to another hand. Uh, and we've seen that in micro cycles, especially in crypto. So um, in that chart, the most amount of pain is called depression phase. And um, this is where you've heard all of the cliches, blood in the street, buy when there's blood in the street, one of the Rothschild said, you know, yeah. and uh, Buffett was always very good with these quotes where he's saying, be greedy when people are fearful, fearful when they're greedy. That's when everybody is freaking out. So that's when the professionals are coming in. And then when the professionals come in, they give an initial bump in the market and it looks like oh, there's something happening here. And mo most people at that stage are so freaked out still, they don't know that that's the, the cycle has already started. They think it's over. Think tech 2001. Remember when, when they said that um, you know tech is dead? Amazon, by the way, and Google didn't get that memo. Um, the yeah. same thing with real estate. I remember seeing in mainstream articles, uh, articles that real estate will never be a warehouse for capital again of and wealth. And this was after 2008 and 2009. Now you just laugh, right? Because you're like, that, that was maximum pain when you get those headlines. So then you get your bump, then more people come in, then you start to see a rally and a recovery. And then there's the confidence, the psychology starts to drive. Oh, wow, we this is this is coming back. We got to get in. And you have people to see that they come in. And then all of a sudden you get like, you get a moment of inflection that really spikes up. That's a really, really good run. Times are great. Happy times are here again. The next phase is where the irresponsible behavior begins. And it happens every single time. It's the over leveraging of people in the marketplace. Um, you know, the examples are endless. Pick a market, pick a market cycle. You would think of, you know, 2008, 2009. Remember when people that are, should never qualify to get a mortgage got like five or six of them just cash out refied houses and kept on buying more. Yeah. Um, that's this part of the more. And this, by the way, is with the pros, the Buffets, the professional investors go and say, all right, we're out. This is 
they get out when they start to see this kind of stuff. You know, in Bitcoin, for example, in the crypto cycle, just compared to real estate, when people were leveraging their mortgages to buy Bitcoin, all <laughs> the pros, all of the pros were out of at that stage. So it's kind of the same thing. And then you've got another euphoric spike still because of all this over leveraging, usually by the inexperienced and amateur investors. So there, there's more to go, right? The pros don't ride it all the way to the top. Nobody can time the market, right? Look at Michael Burry. Watch the movie The Big Short again. It's incredible. Nobody can time him more. He almost went bankrupt being right. Right. Michael Burry. Oh, yeah. So and so you have that 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 moment of euphoria, and then the first shoe drops, and it's usually one thing. The first thing, like one thing, and then there's complacency, and then you've got a, a moment of capitulation. A second thing starts to happen, and then you've got your rundown, and the money's running out for the exits. And at that stage, the bodies are cashing in. The Buffets are waiting for, 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 for the bottom. So where do I think we're at right now? I think the first thing that pulled that drop was the interest rates that basically doubled in, in six to 12 months. So right. I think there's still deals. I still think there's there's really good deals in the market. At any market cycle, there's there's good deals, right? There's good and bad deals at any time. There's still good deals to invest in. But people should be very cautious and, and play more defense when they look at their entire portfolio than offense. So at this stage, I mean, 90% of it could be defensive. 10% could be offensive. Um, because when it comes down, everybody loves a sale. Everybody loves Black Friday. But when it comes to assets, people get fearful. They freak out. <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, you should be excited about this. If you understand the cycle this is great news. This means that assets will be on sale soon. And, you know, we're right back basically where we're at. The first shoe dropped with the interest rates spiking. I mean, Barry is again, what is it now? 1.63 billion short, <laughs> you know, Buffett's in cash. You see the same kind of things. What will be the second shoe? I think it's coming in the banking system. Um, the interest rate spiking up is going to hit bonds where most banks warehouse their capital. So a lot of them have not um, basically showed their losses on their books, which I think that will eventually be there. But that's more speculative than actually seeing what, what's playing out. But if I had to make an educated guess, that's probably how that's going to go down. All right. So interesting. So I, so you think that we are you know still at the very top of that uh, roller coaster that you know is a, is plummeting downward. Yeah, and like I said, there's still deals. We have still people in our network that are doing some deals. Personally, I am not. Um, I don't have the skill set that some of the folks have that go in and out quickly right now out of deals or you know, some of the, the deals that they're investing in doesn't fit into quite into my criteria. It might be smaller. It might be in markets that I'm not interested, but it could still work. Um, so there's still deals to be had. There's deals in every part of the market cycle. But personally, I'm, you know, I've, I'm playing defense right now um, and waiting. And, and I, I think like the big lesson is if you can hold on to capital when there is a massive capital destruction event and you can go in and then stock up back on assets, you know, at, at the bottom, it's it's an opportunity of a lifetime. It's going to be a wealth transfer of a lifetime. Um, you know, and I don't see any of this as negative or positive. I just see it as a cyclical. It happens all the time. Um, and you have asset classes where they experience this every four years. We've had a, a one heck of a run. 
<laughs> in real estate from 2012. Think about it from 2012 to, I would say, uh, the end of 2022. So 10 years. Wow. It's, it was uh, what a run. So I think, um, yeah, still opportunities, but at this stage playing defense. Gotcha. We've seen cap rates go up and, and we've seen, I mean, obviously interest rates go up. Uh, we've seen housing prices drop in a lot of markets around the country, rents drop in some markets around the country, which is unusual. Rents, rents don't usually drop. Um, I mean, other things go wrong for landlords, of course, you know, occupancy rates can go down and, and so forth, but you don't usually see rents drop even in recessions. Um, so I, I mean, I would have pegged that we were a little further along in that cycle than you are, but you know, I'm just a guy. <laughs> so, so what do I know about, you know, what's going on in the, in the market? Um, so you, you do something interesting with infinite banking, which by the way, for our listeners, Denny and I talk about infinite returns all the time in real estate investing. That's totally different and unrelated to infinite banking. So I just want to put that out there right now. Uh, so MC, tell us a little bit about, just give us like the high level overview of what infinite banking is, how it works, because most people are not familiar with that, that term. Uh, so just, yeah, just give us like the really, you know, high level overview. Yeah. You basically, it's a cash flow management system in which you structure your cash flow, just like banks do, but you use mutual life insurance companies and life insurance contracts. Um, and if this is the first time that, that anybody's heard of this, this is what uh, is done by banks, by uh, corporations, uh, and by family offices, and the ultra-fluent and ultra-wealthy. And you know, I've always had a philosophy that you don't have to be a Rockefeller to do what they do. You can look at the blueprints of what they're doing, implement those changes on a much smaller scale in your own life and get massive results. So over the past decade or so, um, I've utilized the infinite banking concept strategy to, as part of a cash flow management system um, to warehouse capital. You know, one of the big things right now in this crisis, I mean, it looks pretty much baked into the cake. We, we had a fork in the road. I, I don't, I think we already took the turn. Um, so the big thing is going to be counterparty risk when it comes to where you keep your capital. So when you look at options of where do you keep money? Well, there's banks. And I think that's where the crisis is going to start. So that's probably not a good spot. Bonds, well, you got interest rate risk. You've got counterparty risk of governments that are all bankrupt, all of them. Um, pick your country. They're all bankrupt. So then you look at the other areas of, well, actually, where do I keep it? Well, there's a banking crisis. And you've got governments that are bankrupt. That's going to hit the financial system. So if you're 401k and an IRA, those folks, unfortunately, are the bag holders in every single crash. Um, that's one of the main reasons they're there, uh, to be bag holders in 401ks and IRAs. So Infinite Banking uses mutual life insurance companies. They've been around for 170 years. They're outside of the, quote unquote, Wall Street system. The capital's guaranteed. Um, it grows tax-free. You access the cash tax-free. It's guaranteed access to your money. Um, and then also you earn dividends when the companies are profitable. And these companies have been profitable every year for 170 years plus consecutively. So when I look at how are people going to behave in the future or how are governments, corporations, you look at their past behavior. And that's one of the things from a counterparty or a standpoint that I feel comfortable, more comfortable, I can sleep at night, warehousing capital, cash, because I'm going to need it when there's a downturn to buy assets in mutual insurance companies 
inside of life insurance contracts instead of banks, 401ks, IRAs, and so forth. So I'll share one more thing about the life insurance. Most people think of life insurance, that somebody has to die in (laughs) in order for someone else to benefit. But there's actually a different strategy using the vehicle of life insurance where it's more about the savings aspect and putting money in there because it's tax-free, it's quote-unquote off-grid, it's guaranteed, it's out of banks. That's why it's leveraged by the ultra-fluent and ultra-wealthy. So that's how they do it. So it's structured completely different. It's for cash value, like a savings vehicle. It's been called the rich man's Roth. Um, And uh, folks have probably heard like infinite banking concept, bank on yourself, um, that type, th- those type of concepts. So that's what we do with one of my companies. Uh, we help uh, business owners and investors structure and set these up so that they can warehouse cash effectively and efficiently outside of banks so that they can use it to buy assets, you know, during the next uh, downturn. Yeah. So one thing that I've never understood about infinite banking, and I've, I've, I've heard different experts in infinite banking answer this question differently um, yep. in, in conflicting ways. <laughs> so uh, not surprised. <laughs> well, yeah. So, you know, I hear some people make the case, you know, that, oh, this is, this is an alternative to your bank accounts so you're checking in your savings accounts. And then I've heard other proponents say, no, this is a, there's an alternative to your, your investment brokerage accounts, you know, your, your stock and bond investments, your paper investments in a brokerage. Uh, and of course, those two types of accounts serve very, very different purposes, right? So yep. which is it? I mean, is is, this, is infinite banking meant to be an alternative to paper investments or to bank accounts? It's a savings mechanism. Life insurance is a savings mechanism. It should not be sold as anything else but savings. And this is, you know, a great, I, I appreciate that question. One of the biggest misconceptions in the Western world, and I, I would argue the entire world, and, and this is done on purpose too, in my opinion, but the difference between savings, investing, speculating, and gambling, those are four very, very different things. Very Absolutely. different things. Um, and you hear people say, I save in my 401k for retirement. I almost like... <laughs> The, the small amount of limited amount of hair that I have left, I want to pull out when I hear that. Um, no, it's incredible. So saving is when you put capital in a vehicle where it's guaranteed you have a very, very conservative return because you're not putting capital at risk at all. And it shouldn't be tied to financial markets. So that's why it's a very conservative return. Um, right. Investing is when you put capital at risk. In the hope, you could do it strategically. I don't like the word hope, but you do it because you're you're trying to get a bigger return. No, it's calculated um, risk. Exactly. It's a calculated risk. You Can you lose some of it or all of it? Yes, you can because you're Absolutely. investing. You're not saving. Um, and then you have speculating. Now, speculation is, a. I, I would say, it's a, a form of art. Um, it can, it's a little bit more in the trading realm. Um, people see distortions in the marketplace or trends. They put a very calculated bet that that's going to happen, almost like a trader. Um, and then they have a strategy of how to minimize losses, maximize gains. Speculation is a completely different animal than than investing. And then, of course, you've got gambling where you have no idea what you're doing. 
you got a cocktail in your hand, you're sitting down and you're just, you know, playing some black for a chance. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're taking a chance. And unfortunately, I, I mean, I would even make the argument, the majority of people, not, not the listeners on this podcast, but the majority of people in the world that's just working, just putting money in a 401k and an IRA and maybe handing the rest over to a financial advisor, they're gambling because they don't know what they don't know. You know, it's, it's that whole thing about when you don't know what you don't know and how badly you could get hurt, you're, you're not saving, you're not investing and you're not speculating. So you have to be gambling. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't know, if you don't understand what you're investing in, then it is pure chance, right? All right. Well, so that, that makes sense. That answer makes sense to me because, you know, one of the criticisms that I've, I've heard repeatedly about the infinite banking concept is that the returns are are far lower than the average stock market return over time. Yep. And, and that's an easy thing to, to measure and calculate, right? I mean, that's something yep. that can be easily demonstrated mathematically. Um, so I've, that, that criticism has always resonated with me. Um, you know, especially when I hear guys, you know, out there touting the infinite banking concepts and saying, you know, Oh, you don't need wall street, you know, infinite banking's got you covered, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I mean, the S&P 500 has averaged over a 10% return since 1926. So, you know, <laughs> uh, whereas, and it takes decades for the infinite banking concept to start, you know, reliably producing even these, uh, even okay, uh, you know, annualized returns. Um, but as a, as an, as a savings alternative that I understand if you are willing to wait out the policy growing in value, you know, over 10 years or you know, whatever it is, I know it's, it's different based on the policy, but uh, a long time. I mean, there, it is a long-term investment and you do have to wait out that, that policy growth in value. Uh, but no, that, that makes sense. And I, I appreciate your candor about that. Um, MC, how can people connect with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing either on the real estate side or the infinite banking side, uh, you know, learning more about, uh, calculating or, or create crafting a, uh, a cash flow investment portfolio. Yeah. So cashflowninja.com, we've got over a thousand podcasts there. Um, we cover everything business. Uh, we cover real estate, crypto, we cover, Paper assets, come on, everything. Um, and if they want to learn about infinite banking, yourownbankingsystem.com, yourownbankingsystem.com. And I appreciate your 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 points too. Uh, they're right on. It's not get rich quick. It's a, it's it's one thing that you do of many things, and that's your right. savings part of your strategy. So how we look at it is that's your foundation. And most of us, we are not looking to get the returns. I mean, it's three to four percent tax free in there. But that's not how you get the win this game, get out of the rat race and escape the matrix. How you do it is you warehouse your cash there, utilize it to go invest in things that pay you to own them, like real estate, reduce your taxes and appreciate over time. So just one of the buckets. And that's the thing about, you know, I think like the financial world, too. I think you you, you summarize it pretty well, is that the echo chambers, we always try to compare things. It's like. Should I have uh, real estate, infinite banking, or you know, stocks? And it's like you can have all three, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and you and most people should, in a very well diversified portfolio and strategy, you should have a lot of different things going on. Uh, don't rely on one income stream and and one asset, especially in a day and age of today, right? Yeah, and that's something that 
you know, I try to be very clear about in all of my my writings and speaking that you know I'm out there as a as a quote real estate guy, but I mean I actually have more of my net worth is in stocks than it is in real estate. Uh, stocks and real estate complement each other very well. I mean, you know, they they each have strengths and weaknesses, which both you know fit together like puzzle pieces, right? I mean, they they, yep. they complement each other perfectly. So, uh, yeah, we are all about diversification around here and building out a, a broad portfolio that keeps you protected from many angles of attack. <laughs> so, and there's there are <laughs> there are many yeah. angles. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, MC, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. We look forward to having you back soon. And Guys, if you enjoy these conversations that we have, please rate, review the show. It makes the world of difference to us. We appreciate it. And we'll catch you next week. Same place, same time. Have a good one. Did you know we offer a free eight-video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us, and we will catch you on the flip side.